Before we get to this week's episode, I have a brief but exciting announcement. Schaefer's Investment Research is celebrating its 40th anniversary later this month. The Big 4-0, woo! Using our fundamental, technical, and sentiment indicators that make up our trademark expectational analysis, Schaefer's traders have identified four stocks, one for each decade, that can give you an edge on the crowd through the end of 2021. Click the link in the episode bio, enter in your email, and we'll drop it in when the report goes live. And now, our AMD postmortem with senior market strategist, Chris Bribel. Welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. Patrick Martin here on July 14th with a very special in-house guest. Please welcome back Schaefer's Senior Market Strategist, Chris Pribel. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. I'm glad to be here. Cool. Chris is here to talk semiconductors and a supremely successful advanced micro devices options trade from earlier in the summer. You might remember Chris from his otherworldly call on GameStop uh, even before the meme mania had uh, struck in early 2021. So safe to say he knows what he's doing. Uh, We're going to hit the film room here on what he saw, dig into his mind a little bit. I love doing these types of postmortems because I feel like not everyone gets to talk to a trader, let alone one with a track record like Chris's. So couldn't be more pumped. Uh, and, you know, it's British Open weekend, so we might talk a little golf. Who knows? I mean, the, you know, the podcast is our oyster. But I guess let's jump into it was a June 72.50 strike call, correct? That is correct. Our subscribers here at Schaefer's got 201% on the final position. Okay, so that is tripling your money, if I'm correct. Yeah, that is correct. It was a very nice trade. Very nice. Well, first off, congratulations. You know, we're going to get into kind of the emotion and sentiment behind hitting these big trades here in a second. But first, I want to go broad here and say, you know, like there's been a lot going on in the semiconductor sector lately uh, between the chip shortage, crypto mining, IP battles with China and Taiwan. Can you paint a picture of the chip stock backdrop uh, in the last six to nine months? Broadly and from a global perspective, the trade war with China has pretty pretty much heightened the fact that we get the majority of our chips and the processing of is done overseas in Taiwan. The United States of America does not manufacture many chips here anymore. And since everything you buy from a video game to a kid's toy to an automobile, they have multiple chips. I read an article that a car these days or a truck has 1,400 separate chips just to produce one vehicle. So our economy is tied to the semiconductor industry. And since the trade war with China, it's become evident that America needs to manufacture and produce chips in-house, in-country, so that our supply chains are equipped at all times and we're not reliant on foreign power or an adversary that could come in and take out our manufacturing capabilities and then pretty much wipe out our supply chain. Mm -hmm. 
So over the past year, there's been a increase in M&A activity, merger and acquisition activity within this space. Uh, the numbers I saw was as high as $118 billion just in M&A activity last year. A lot of these uh, tie-ups or combinations are still in courts. They're awaiting approval, but all intentions point to um, the three in question. Uh, NVIDIA is buying ARM, so it's an American company buying a European company. Mm -hmm. You've got analog devices buying Maxim Integrated. Both of those are American companies. And then AMD was in the midst of buying Xilinx when I put on this trade. Uh, so there's vast amount of uh, tying up for protectionism and for manufacturing purposes. We need to do these things in-house. And uh, when I put on this initial trade on the AMD Xilinx, when they announced the merger, the combined value of the company was set at $135 billion. Now, it was going to take nine to 12 months for the approvals to go through. So there's always a lull period in these M&As where the stocks do not advance as quickly as the market because they consolidate, because there's uncertainties around the mergers. They could get postponed, they could get delayed, they could get eliminated altogether for security concerns. So there's a lot of hesitancy amongst invest investors on whether or not to step in. I, I went ahead and stepped in because at the time of the first trade here, the market value of AMD and Xilinx, if you put the two together, it had fallen well below that $135 billion, and it fell down to $120 billion, which I put, a, put together a chart for you, and you saw that around $117 billion, it seemed to be a floor. And I was thinking $120, $117 you know, they're pretty close knowing that the combined value on announcement day was 135. So I, I took a stab from a valuation point of view and got our subscribers into the trade knowing I just had a gut feeling that it would go through for the security concerns and America needs to consolidate these industries for strength and power. Um, so I thought it was a value for our subscribers. Subsequently, the sentiment backdrop was pretty favorable. You had pretty low IVs, which is a crucial component of any option buyer. Uh, 14 hold ratings and one sell, one strong sell on an uptrending stock. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at AMD over a 10 year period, it was up almost a thousand percent and it had pulled back at that time to 750%. So it kind of had a technical driver there. Um, and AMD's market value was 90 billion at the time. And the combined was 120, like I said. So you had a good EA, expectational analysis set up, which we harbor here at Shapers, which co combines fundamental technical and sentiment analysis into one package. Um, I was very lucky that two days after initiation of this trade, AMD came out and said they were going to initiate a $4 billion share repurchase program which 4 billion divided by 90, uh, up 5% of the value of the outstanding that we're going to purchase back. And that started to move the shares higher in earnest, allowing our subscribers the handsome profit that they achieved. That buyback really lit things on fire. 
I want to go back to a couple of things you were talking about. I'm looking at your chart now, and for listeners, it shows the combined value. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I see the combined value heading around in November of 2020, around 120 billion, and then also pulling back to that area in March, and then once more in May. And then right after those pullbacks, it had seemed to burst a lot higher. Was that a historical precedent that you were looking to repeat? I think investors in general saw the discount to the intrinsic value of both companies and they stepped in. And that was a, assuredly, that was one of the things that made me very comfortable with this trade mm -hmm. is that it had pulled back to these levels previously and people stepped in and bought it. So I took advantage of the uncertainty and stepped into that trade. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, as, as a retail trader, I think you can look at a chart like that and see the support level at, at 120 and say like, okay, let's take this entry point as a discount and, and hope for everything else that you had mentioned. We'll also see on that, on that combined value that it peaked at 150 billion multiple times as well. Very interesting there. So there's something to be said, price, Everyone looks at price and technical patterns, but there's something to be said at looking at the underlying value of a company, market cap, millions or billions or trillions, and then comparing it to its peers from a revenue and earnings point of view. And if you study these things, you will find things that are massively overpriced and you will find discounts. And when you're trading one of these discounts, it takes a little bit longer to play out because something is undervalued and the market does not realize it at that time. So it takes a couple weeks or months for it to flush out. Um, on the overpriced things, you can see situations, and we can get into AMC or GameStop, where they're, they're priced so high value to peers that do more revenue and earn more that you're wondering why are they double or triple this competitor? And it makes you scratch your head, and then you'll see Eventually, you'll see the declines and they'll normalize compared to peers. So that's that's what I, I like market value analysis better than price analysis. But as you know, from being in this industry, I'm rare in that thought process. How many times have I bugged you, you know, on a Wednesday or Thursday when I'm looking to write something about a market cap analysis of the oil sector or cryptocurrencies? I, I think it's an overlooked component here's the tape you know right now of, of showing how you can find value in that um and in, in speaking of talking about value when you say ivs for you know a retail trader what are they looking for with implied volatility in relation to options implied volatility is the market maker's estimation of future volatility so they're taking the other end of this trade. They got to cover themselves with some kind of volatility expectation based off of the past, based off of upcoming events. And they kind of have to uh, establish a level that they want the customer to pay and implied so that they feel that they're risk neutral if anything were to happen. Uh, obviously, if you're buying an option, 
you want to buy lower IVs and then have the event occur and the IVs go up so that not only are you getting a price advance, but the expansion and applied volatilities also increases the value of the underlying option. Okay. So it's one of the multiple components of the option contract pricing model um, that you can take advantage of. Okay. Because IVs, as you know, they go up and down. Mm-hmm. And you can pay too much for an option because you're paying too much for the IV. Right. That's that's what I wanted to, to point out is that you know even if the direction of the trade is favorable, if your IVs aren't where they need to be, you're not maximizing your value. Not for that price movement that you sought out and achieved because you were paying up in the, on the IVs. When you go to sell that option, let's say you had 100 IV when you bought it, if they drop the IVs to 50 by the time you sell it, that's going that's going to hurt the value of that option contract. And you're going to think, man, I should be up a lot more money. Why am I not? It's because they took down the prices of the IVs and that is reflected now in the option contract. Right. Right. I think that's very important. Very well said. And then you talked about how short interest had doubled, I think, since the merger. Was that something that you were also looking at? You'll, you'll see that when you have a M&A activity, there's an arbitrage related trade. Um, with that said, we have other indicators that um, dissect whether or not it's arbitrage related. And that particular indicator was still rather high, suggesting that there was a lot of a daily short interest and um, shorts that were specialized on maybe the merger not not working out. Mm-hmm. Whereas once it got approval from the EU, um, the stock spiked because there's less uncertainty that it ultimately will work out. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of both. I mean, I, it wasn't one of my top drivers, but it was a supportive driver. Okay, interesting. And, you know what I noticed? You know, with a lot of connective tissue between your GameStop trade and this one is your reading macro news headlines, EU approvals. Um, I think you're talking about the same store sales back with the GameStop. You are balancing a lot of the technical analysis that we do at Schaefer's with the macro headlines. Is, is that something that comes natural or are you, are you, do you gravitate towards those headlines more often? Walk me through that. Uh, price is what you pay, but value is what you get. So, a lot of times stories will be missed by the media because they they want clicks and they want eyeballs and they they want what's popular Mm -hmm. but if you dig into the details you'll discover and uncover things that other people missed and they may they may not pay off for you right away but you keep uncovering these truths about a stock or a sector and eventually and you'll get to this with one of your last questions. It really it makes you feel empowered that you discovered things before other people. And then you watch the public come in and start to buy up what you're in. It allows you naturally to sell easier. You're not a forced seller. There's plenty of people to sell to because you were into that trade before them. That's a very good point. Empowered is, is a good word to use there, I feel like. Yeah, you do the 
research and it finally comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. You did it before other people did. That's the beautiful part of it. Cool. Like you'll get into the Open Championship. There's a lot of research with Royal St. George's about where to place the ball, not only off the tee, but on approach shots, on greens, that experience. You know, these English, these English kids have knowledge of the course that other people from America or from South Africa or from Australia, they have to pick that new on the fly. So they're kind of forced learning where if you already have that information and you've been accumulating it, you can act on it instantaneously. You don't have to think as much. You mm -hmm. act. That's kind of why I take in so much macro news is that I want to have that backdrop so that when I see something happen, I can act on it because I'm prepared. You know, that's why Lee Westwood is, in, is talking to the media now about ball flight and wind trajectory. And I think that that needs to be taken into account. Market direction is an important factor when you're placing an option trade, whether call or put. You have to have a, a feel for the overall market as well as for that stock. Right. So I, I do want to touch on the feeling of empowerment. You know, I think we are both sports people. A lot of investors, I think, have a rooting interest in sports as well. You know, there is that emotion, like you said, that feeling, the sentiment you get when you are ahead of the curve a little bit. You, you are almost kind of reading between the lines and picking out a market driver that hasn't really been picked over. You've been doing this and now you're a seasoned veteran. Does that feeling ever go away? You know, that kind of like, you know, when you flush a drive, when you uh, or you, you nail a big trade like this, does that feeling ever go away? I don't think it ever goes away because each situation is different. The reasons you got into the trade are different. Another feeling when you're not trading that well and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, man, what am I going wrong? That feeling hurts more because you know you're better than this. So it's kind of like I, I would describe it in the situation of Dustin Johnson right now. You know, he was number two in the world golf rankings last week. But then he crested to number one, and in his press conference, he, he said, you know, John Rahm's playing better golf than me. He pretty much deserves to be number one. I need to step up my game. And it's when you lose, that losing drives you forward, and it makes you do things that you otherwise wouldn't so that you can get back on top. Mm -hmm. Staying on top is very hard. But the thing that gets me is, is, is losing and not being on top. That feeling provides more energy and encouragement um, than the, the big trades. The big trades, you know, it's, it's a great feeling, and it. I hope all of our subscribers can experience it. Um, it, it just makes the world of stock trading so much more interesting uh, and enjoyable, you know, when you're profiting from your thoughts and your actions and the reading material you went through. You know, it, it's coming out on the field, so to speak, that prep time. And more and more, the more I play golf, the more I dig into the investing world, I see so many similarities. And you pointed out how, you know, the bad trades tend to drive you more. And I, I think there are so many similarities between kind of like, you know, you can have it, 
Sometimes you can't. It, it, it can come and go so quickly. I, I, I just see so much connective tissue between the two. I agree 100%. I've always told people, professional golf, you'll see someone go out and shoot a 63, which is an incredible score. And I'll tell him, I, I'll wager you tomorrow that he does not shoot better than a 70 because you have one good round and then your next round is usually above average or poor. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare that you'd see a professional trader or a golfer shoot the 63 and come back with a 65. And then on the third round, shoot another 65. It's very hard to stay on top of your game every day. And as traders, we have five days a week that the tournament's open. Mm -hmm. You got to be prepared for five days. You know, those that's each week is a tournament. I agree. You know, when you, when you shoot around that, you're unhappy with i mean it just provides that fuel like you're better than this get back out there do more work so that this doesn't happen again mm -hmm. yeah there, there's i guess a feeling of desperation and then you turn that into a positive expectancy that if you work hard if you do the work if you read you will find answers and when the tournament opens or the stock market opens you can then apply what you worked on and put it to action and oftentimes you'll see that come to fruition and it really is like you said it's an empowering feeling because you went from the top back to the bottom and then you worked yourself back to the top mm -hmm. it's the full cycle of emotions i think it's one of the benefits of having stop losses on your option trades and your stock trades because you're going to get up to the plate and you're going to swing and miss mm -hmm. And you're going to take the 30% or 40 or 50% loss, but you can't be afraid to get back in the batter's box and hit the next home run. Right. And some of the, some of the best baseball players have come out of a slump and went on to perform incredible feats. And it was right after they were in one of the worst slumps of their career. I mean, I, I could say Barry Bonds. I read about Stan Musial. They come out of slumps and they go on these hot streaks. And you, you just got to remember that you can do it. You've got to put in the work. It's going to come true. But in the words of Jim Valvano, you, you can't give up. You got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, I, you know, in the words of Ted Lasso, I'm not sure if you watched that show, but you just have to believe. You have to have that inherent belief that even when it's going poorly, you will put in the work. That's the important part. You will put in the work and things will correct itself. Yes, you have to believe. That's crucial. I did not think we were going to dive deep into the human psyche here, but hey, I love it. Um, I do want to focus more on the future now. I know you have a another Advanced Micro Devices ticker AMD call. Is there anything different that you're seeing going forward that you can share or just something else that you're kind of seeing in addition to the first trade and you mentioned the buyback was well received i think it was, it was a sign from management uh, that the company is financially secure uh, that they've made it clear that this merger will be completed um, end of the year amd went up uh, obviously to get the 200 percent, but then it kind of consolidated for a bit and it pulled back to short-term moving averages, and I still like the trade. I thought it was a good time to enter and leg up. 
if you're in a good trade, you know, there's nothing wrong with putting more money into it if you're right. Um, so I, I took advantage of the, the sentiment really has not changed because the street is still worried about whether China will approve this deal and then ultimately will the United States approve the deal. Mm -hmm. I think once you see that those two bodies approve it, uh, the full value of this merger uh, will begin to be shown. And I, I believe you'll, you'll be handsomely re rewarded if you allow yourself enough time because there is the caveat of the trade war. Right. And anything can go down, you know, and then China could take over to Taiwan tomorrow, unfortunately. And I don't know what we could do about it. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the beauty of right. options is that you can set your your terms, you, you can set your cost of entry, and you can watch all these things as opposed to just buying and holding. Yeah, the time component. And it manages your risk of your capital. Yes. You can always close an option trade out, you know, a half day after you entered it or a day later. If you don't like the way it's going, you can always close it on and move on to the next trade. You're not tied to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's very you're important. You're definitely not going to, you're, you're not going to make any money if you don't swing at the pitch. Yes. If you sit there and wait for a walk, you can wait for walks all day, but that's it's not really why you're there. You know, a boat is safe in the harbor, but that's not why boats reside. They're meant to go out on the ocean or on the lake. So yeah, you yeah. gotta you gotta swing at the pitches. You, you see a pitch that you like, swing the bat. You know, Billy Bean's Moneyball, where all that matters is getting on base, doesn't necessarily apply to options trading. Or does it? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's a that's a conversation for another time. It is. Pete Rose, Tony Gwynn way about it is more of an option seller strategy. When you're buying premium, it's more of a buried bonds strategy. Uh, you're trying to hit home runs and capitalize your money that way and then uh, sell your losers short. But eventually, after you get a 200% or 400% or 600% like GameStop, you're going to see your portfolio value is up immensely in here it's because of those big hits that's how you outperform everyone else ah there you go yeah i'm bouncing between sports here but just like phil mickelson said you know you just gotta hit bombs as long as it doesn't land in the fescue <laughs> or the brush it's pretty pretty long over in uh sandwich kent england that's where we gotta close i haven't been doing any of my prep work for the open uh, I know you're way more excited than I am. Who you got? Who you thinking about? I know. I know it's easy, but I'm all on the Rom train. Uh, I like Lee Westwood. I saw some crazy stat that Louis Oosthuizen is 12 strokes away. I think from have having won five majors or maybe even seven majors. I don't know. An absurd stat. Uh, but what do you got for me there? The course does not have many trees and it's close to the ocean so it's going to be breezy so you want people with local knowledge or people that are good in the wind so usually australians are good in the wind south africans are good in the, in the wind spaniards like rom they're good in the wind i'm going to favor an english person to win uh, 
There has not been an English winner on the tour in quite some time. I know Rory won a few months ago, but he's Northern Irish, so he's not English. Um, so you have to go back a ways before an English person has won, and it is in England. So I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood or perhaps Paul Casey. Okay. All right, Tommy, getting back on the train. So I, I would like to see that. I'm with you on there. But I just I try to find the horse for the horse. Nice. Yeah, that's that's smart. I might look into um, some of the strokes gained on, at Kiowa, you know, with, with the way that wind was on that back nine and see if I can, you know, draw any correlations. Chris Pribel, senior market strategist at Schaefer's. Thank you again for coming on. Again, that was a advanced micro devices ticker AMD options trade from earlier in the summer that netted a 201% return. So again, check out Schaefer'sResearch.com. That was on the, I think, the event trader. We've got a lot of content on the stock market as well. You know it better than I. You guys are putting out some incredible content that I think our readers and if you're a subscriber that you can get value from because it's a point of view that you will not find on the buy side or the sell side. It's really independent research. Yeah, that's, that's what we're striving to do. Enjoy this weekend and watch uh, watch some good golf. Thanks again for coming on, Chris. We'll uh, hopefully a couple months bring you back on for another uh, highlight reel of your big trades. Thanks, Patrick, for having me, and keep it in the fairway. Cheers, Chris. So that AMD trade came from our event trader service over at Schaefer's. Event Trader focuses on quick turnaround, earning-centric trades, targeting home runs and grand slams of around 100 to 200% returns. Bernie Schaefer's Event Trader portfolio has doubled in value with a return on investment of roughly 110% over the past six months. Compare that to the S&P 500 that has only returned roughly 12% over that same time frame. Not so bad. Schaefer's is celebrating its 40th year in business, as you heard at the beginning of the episode. Join us in celebrating by taking Event Trader out for a spin for 30 days, just for $4. $4. Sign up for our event service today. You only have to pay $4 for that first month of trades. Check in my math here, but that's an average of five trades for less than $5. Can't beat it. That link is also in the bio. Check it out. Thank you.